Good evening. Let's uh, all come before the throne of grace in prayer. Gracious Lord and loving Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this opportunity which we have to gather together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank Thee that we can open up the Scriptures. We pray now that You will bless and guide our meditations upon them, that the name of Christ might be exalted, and that we might be built up in the most holy faith. For in our Saviour's blessed name we ask this. Amen. Amen. We're going to spend a few minutes looking at something in the Old Testament this evening. We've been dwelling in the Old Testament quite often in recent days. And hopefully, hopefully we've been finding it profitable, especially in Hebrews and Genesis. But uh, when I was taking the service the other week here, we looked at something from the book of Ezekiel. We're not in Ezekiel tonight, but Ezekiel was told that his ministry was not going to be well received because the people were hard-hearted. They wouldn't take heed to what he had to say. And he was not the only one who had a, a difficult ministry. And I was thinking about Moses and some of the difficulties that Moses faced in his time of ministry and I've ended up in the the book of Numbers, but we're not going to start in Numbers tonight. I'm going to remind you of why we look at the Old Testament, why we pay attention to it so much, when sadly these days so many people treat it as old, out of date, to be laid aside and helpful for a few illustrations, but little else. When that's far from how we should treat it. Now, I would like to remind you, first of all, of Second Timothy chapter 3 and verses 16 and 17. It's a very well known, I hope at least, a very well known verse. It's a very important verse too. We read there, all scripture is theonostis. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And remember that the scriptures that the apostles used, the scriptures that Christ used during his ministry, are what we know of as the Old Testament. Romans 15 verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. They're there for us to learn from. What do we learn? What's the, what's the big subject? 
the main subject that the Holy Spirit is talking to us about in the Old Testament, in the writings of Moses. The Lord Jesus said, John chapter 5, verse 46, For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. So what we're looking at is the Word of God. It was given to us for our learning, for our instruction in righteousness. And the, the big subject of it is Christ dealing with his people. But then 1 Corinthians chapter 10 came to mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is quite a, a lengthy passage here. To, this sets the complete context for the time from the first, the Passover deliverance, if I could call it that, the exodus from Egypt right through the time of the book of Numbers. Chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink uh, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye, what I say. So he looks back over that history and 
he identifies the the dangers, the sin into which the people uh, fell. The people who had followed Moses out of Egypt. The people who had been baptized onto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They had been delivered from the slavery of Egypt. They had outwardly followed Moses. But there were big problems. He identifies these. Verse 6, lust after evil. Verse 7, idolaters. Verse 8, fornication. Verse 9, tempting Christ. Verse 10, murmuring. Take heed lest he fall. And so now, having said all of that, let's turn back to the book of Numbers, the fourth book of Moses. In passing, I would note that the titles that we have before us are not part of God-breathed scripture. They have been added for our help. And in this case, the title Numbers dates all the way back to the, to the Greek translation, the Septuagint, that was done, but it doesn't really give an account, a description of what the whole book is about. The, the numbering, the counting, is something that happened at the start of the book, and something that happened at the end of the book, and there's an awful lot that happened in between that has nothing to do with counting them. Perhaps the common title in Hebrew Scriptures in the wilderness would be more appropriate which is what the book starts with and the Lord spake unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tabernacle of the congregation on the first day of the second month in the second year after they were come out of the land of Egypt so what we have here is God's people They had been delivered from Egypt. They had seen all the signs and wonders in Egypt. Remember the terrible plagues? God had demonstrated his power, his awesome, terrible, judgmental power on those who rebel and refuse to heed his word. There couldn't be any doubt about it. He delivered them miraculously. He destroyed the enemy when the the sea came back upon the army of the Egyptians. And then he'd given them his law, establishing the covenant. And at the time when the law was given, when they got to Sinai, there was awesome majesty displayed with with the thunder and lightning and so forth. They had been greatly blessed. And the tabernacle had been built. What was the tabernacle about? The tabernacle was that tent of meeting to be placed at the centre of the camp where the glory of the Lord would dwell amidst the people. The people who had been separated from Egypt and the people who had been brought out to be a people of worship a people 
who would serve the Lord and who would go into the land which had been promised unto Egypt. You can see there the tabernacle was finished in Exodus chapter 40, the 34th verse we read, a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The Lord dwelling amidst his people as they prepared to march to the promised land and take possession of it. Between Exodus and Numbers, we've got the book of Leviticus. Leviticus deals with aspects of worship and the priests and moral purity. We've got the lots of details about sacrifices and the, the work of the priests. And we've got the moral code, the code of holiness, which so often is controversial with people in our day, but not, of course, just in our day. It's about holiness, because God would have his people be holy, be separate from that which contaminates, that which destroys, that which is sinful. So, the book of Numbers. Verse 2 of chapter 1 Take ye the sum of the congregations of the children of Israel after their families by the house of their fathers with the number of their names every male by their poles from twenty years old and upwards all that are able to go forth to war in Israel. So this is a preparation for conquest. They are to count up how many men and if you read through you'll find it's taken by tribes how many men are of fighting age? How many are able to join in the battle? It's not a count of every individual in the nation. This was indeed a great nation of people now who had come from one man, and as we saw in Hebrews 11 verse 12, one man who was as good as dead, the, the, the promise made to Abraham uh, was here being fulfilled. All the tribes were numbered in preparation for going to war, except except for the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi had different duties. Chapter 1, verse 50 Thou shalt appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony and over all the vessels thereof and over all the things that belong to it. They shall bear the tabernacle all the vessels thereof and they shall minister unto it and shall encamp round about the tabernacle. So most of the people were to be concerned with the everyday life and with preparations for conquest and warfare. Try to believe I were to be prepared and set apart for aspects of worship and the spiritual life of the people maintaining the tabernacle we see the tribes were counted individually through chapter 1 and then they had to in chapter 2 they had to, to pitch the, the flag, the standard with the ensign of the father's house. Uh, 
And then the camp was arranged, chapter 2. The tribes were to, to pitch with, verse 3, Judah at the east. And you move down through and you, you see that there were tribes set out in order on the, each point of the compass around the tabernacle. So the tabernacle would be in the centre of the people. The camp was to be very orderly. That applies to the church today. It's not about where we dwell, but everything in the church is to be done decently and in order. There should be no chaos in our worship. The Lord has gifted and called people to particular roles and works and responsibilities. As you go through the book of Numbers, you find that some people weren't happy with the fact that they were given one role and not another. They thought it wrong. They should have had the role that they saw as more prominent. But we must always remember that when the Lord gives people a responsibility, that is the most important work for them to do. And that's what they're accountable for, what they're responsible for. But these things are all set out in the book of Numbers. About the tribe of Levi, chapter 3, verse 2, we find that the firstborn of the nation are mine. For on the day that I smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I hallowed unto me all the firstborn in Israel, both man and beast, mine shall they be. I am the Lord. The, the, the children of Levi are then numbered. And work is assigned to what they will do. We learn that their years of work were restricted. We notice there at verse 30, from 30 years old and upward even on to 50, shalt thou number them. Everyone that entereth into the service to do the work of the tabernacle of the congregation. The ones who were over 50 were actually told they weren't allowed to do the particular special works, but they were to help the younger ones. When they're all added up, and all given work to do, verse 49 According, thus were they numbered of him as the Lord commanded Moses. Moses had done what he'd been told to do. What chapter were you on? That, that was chapter 4, I'm sorry. Oh, I okay. Yeah, I think I turned a page over. 449. Yeah, as the Lord commanded Moses. Chapter 5. Oh, before I say that. We have to remember that they were going to march. They had the camps. So they were in an orderly fashion in the camp with three tribes on each side. But then they would go to march. 
So the Levites were told which bits, which families of the tribe were to carry which bits of the tabernacle, which bits of the furniture. And that was all to be done in a very orderly manner. We have to remember that not only, not all the, the Levites were allowed to enter into the sacrificial work of the tabernacle. That was restricted. Chapter 4 verses 19 and 20 tell us that only uh, where does it say that? Um, sorry verse 19 in the middle of the verse Aaron and his son shall go in and appoint them everyone to his service and to his burden but they shall not go in to see when the holy things are covered lest they die there were restrictions about when they could go in and when they couldn't go in and actually most of the tribe of Levi were not the sons of Aaron so they were not priests but they had other duties. Chapter 5 deals with purity in the camp purity regarding leprosy at the start of the chapter purity regarding sin which a person was guilty and how there were to be rules about recompensing and trespass purity about jealousy and how jealousy in marriage was to be tested it's all about purity Chapter 6, we come to the vows of the Nazarites. There's quite a bit here about the Nazarites. About their diet. About no razor. About no touching dead bodies. The Nazarite was about taking a vow. Verse 2 of chapter 6. When either man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord. How many Nazarites do we find in the scriptures? Well, when you, when you think about it, Samson, we're told, was to be a Nazarite. His parents were told that before he was born, but I don't know of anybody else directly where we're told that they were actually a Nazarite. But this passage is talking about people who could opt, could volunteer to set themselves apart for a season or two. It's quite extensive, but we're not really given practical examples of of people, as a general rule across the Old Testament, who use these provisions as I say as far as I could see 
Samson was the, the main one, but his was to be lifelong, even from birth. The Lord, verse 22 of chapter 6, And the Lord spake unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron and unto his son, saying, On this wise ye shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel and I will bless them. What a wonderful blessing that is. They were to be a special people because God had promised and said he would bless them. And this was to be said before the people. We, of course, are people who need very much the Lord's blessing. It should be our prayer that he would make his face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us and give us peace. That peace which we find in Christ and him alone. Chapter 7 is about offerings. Whenever we come across offerings, we must think about the one who fulfilled all the offerings that are set forth in the Old Testament. The one who completed his offering, who finished his work. The one who sat down at the right hand of the majesty and high for his offering was one sacrifice for sin uh, forever there's there's quite a bit about offerings as you go through the book of Numbers, the offerings of course remind of the sin of the people and the need uh, for that forgiveness and cleansing and atonement that came via offerings all of which pointed to Christ it was a constant reminder of sin and how it contaminates. Chapter nine, chapter nine deals with the Passover, remembering the Exodus from Egypt. It seems that they they celebrated the Passover at the, the second year after leaving, but it doesn't seem that they celebrated the Passover again until they'd entered into the land. Just reading through chapter 9, verse 15, we have something quite significant, and that is that on the day that the tabernacle was reared up, and the cloud covered the tabernacle, namely the tent of the testimony, and at even there was upon the tabernacle, as it were, the appearance of fire until the morning. So it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And when the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, then after that the children of Israel journeyed in the place where the cloud abode 
There the children of Israel pitched their tents. So we see that there was a constancy in the presence of the Lord. That was a visible manifestation, a a visible sign, perhaps, of his presence with the cloud and the fiery pillar. And that was also a guide to them. The Lord would guide them as to when to move and where to go. They were to be led day by day on their journey by the Lord. They they didn't have to work it out for themselves. The Lord would guide them. What a what a great privilege that was. I don't know if you saw anything of the photographs that uh, Glenn and Pauline sent through last week of the something of the life in the desert there with the camel and the the dry arid country. But these these Israelites, they were in an inhospitable country. They'd been separated from Egypt, but they hadn't been abandoned to their own devices. The Lord was with them. And the Lord promised to guide them, direct them to the promised land. In the desert, they were not at home. It wasn't their possession in any sense. But the Lord would guide them and bring them to their journey's end. Chapter 10 Make thee two trumpets of silver of a whole piece shalt thou make them that thou mayest use them for calling of the assembly and for the journeyings of the camps. These trumpets were to sound out and to sound out clearly to call the people together to gather for a meeting to gather for an alarm in verse 5 the camps on each different side were to come in an orderly way as, as, the, as the blast was given out the first one one, tri- one side would come then another blast and the other side would come it was very orderly If you go to war, verse 9, in your land against the enemy that oppresses you, then you shall blow an alarm with the trumpet, and you shall be remembered before the Lord your God, and ye shall be saved from your enemies. What an assurance the Lord was giving them through Moses. They didn't have to fear the enemies. They were to sound an alarm, they were to blow the trumpet and they could have confidence that they would be remembered before the Lord and be saved from the enemies. They were also to blow the trumpet in days of gladness. We're not just to 
be people who sound alarms. We're also to have times of rejoicing and thankfulness. Times of memorial before your God. We have to remember, I am the Lord your God. Verse 11 onwards in chapter 10, we find they, they began the journey. Verse 14, the first place went to the standard of the camp of the children of Judah. And so on, down through the passage the tribes are listed. Verse 29, Moses said unto Hobad, the son of Raguel and Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we are journeying unto the place of which the Lord said, I will give it you. Come thou with us, and we will do thee good. For the Lord hath spoken good concerning Israel. Moses had confidence that the Lord was with them, and he would bless them. He wanted his father-in-law to come and help them as they set up camp on each stage of the journey. So, verse 33, the journey began. The ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them in the three days journey to search out a resting place for them and the cloud of the Lord was upon them by day when they went out of the camp the first ten chapters are quite orderly as the Lord instructed the people they were counted and ordered and then they set out but what happened in chapter 11 Verse 1, when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them, and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. They were murmuring. They brought judgment upon themselves, and when the judgment came, they cried to Moses, and Moses prayed unto the Lord, and the fire was quenched. But it wasn't the end of their murmuring and complaints. Verse 4, The mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic, but now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all beside this manner before our eyes. Then we have a description of the man. They, they'd been so blessed. These were people who had experienced and seen with their own eyes that great deliverance from Egypt. And every day, 
six days a week, they were blessed with food to eat. They didn't have to grow crops. The weather wasn't a problem. The manna was there. They had work to do. They had to go out and pick it up. And you can read through the passage there. They had to, to process it, to, to grind it and prepare it for eating and so forth. So there was work for the people to do. But though it was the best food in the world, this heavenly bread, they were not happy with it. They became bored with it. It wasn't exciting enough. When we read about manna, this heavenly bread, who does it speak to us of? It speaks to us of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the true bread from heaven. We are being blessed with the knowledge of Christ. Do we become bored with him? Do we look for something exciting and new when we have that which is complete and full? These ancient Israelites didn't know when they were well off. They desired and they were given what they desired. The Lord said verse 20 but, um, yeah, verse 19, you shall not eat one day, nor two days, nor five days, neither ten days, nor twenty days, but even a whole month, until it come out of your nostrils, and it be loathsome unto you, because that ye have despised the Lord, which is among you. It's, it's, it's terribly sad in, in churches when people who have learnt about Christ, the wonders of God's law and its purity, the wonders of God's grace, the good news in Christ and his finished work, when people disdain that and desire something new and exciting, when they find the gospel loathsome, when they turn aside from some aspect or other are what the scriptures say. Here though, the word that the Lord said unto Moses, because Moses was growing a bit weary of all of this, the Lord said unto Moses, verse 23 of chapter 11, Is the Lord's hand waxed short? Thou shalt see now whether my word shall come to pass unto thee or not. Moses was told to set aside 70 to help him. We must always remember that God does not change. His arm doesn't get short. He's well able to save. He is working out his purpose. The God who brought them out of Egypt, delivered them from the army of Pharaoh, the God who fed them every day, 
was well able to bring them to the promised land to give them possession of it what was that compared to feeding them every day dear friends let us never grow weary of the gospel but the problems drew close to home chapter 13 Chapter 12, rather. No wonder I can't find my place. Chapter 12. The problems drew close to home. What happened in chapter 12? Miriam and Aaron. Who were they? Moses' sister. Remember his sister that looked after him when he was that young child? his sister and his brother. They started complaining. Verse 2, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men that were upon the face of the earth. They were jealous, envious of Moses because Moses seemed to have the preeminence. They wanted a bit of that for themselves. There was a price though to pay. Miriam became leprous. Moses pleaded with her, but she had to endure it for seven days outside the camp. The Lord said to Moses in verse 14 there, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be ashamed seven days? Let her be shut out from the camp seven days after that letter be received in again. It's very sad when we see that the problems in the nation went right to the highest levels. Even Moses' sister and brother were envious of him. In chapter 13 you have the, the well-known account of the spies. The spies were sent in to spy out the land. They were told, verse 20, Be ye of good courage and bring up the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. So they went in, they collected, they were there, verse 25, 40 days, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to the congregation, verse 26, and showed them the fruit. They brought back a good report, verse 27, of the land, but, verse 28, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled. 
Where was their faith? Caleb pleaded with them, but they wouldn't listen. Chapter 14, verse 2. Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in the wilderness? It's easy, isn't it, to, to see the difficulties in the land. We have it in our land today. You, you look around and you see what's happened. Abortion loss. You look around and see what's happened. Proposals for euthanasia, so-called. Assisted suicide by doctors. You look around at objections to the Christian gospel. It's easy to despair, to forget that we are only responsible to do what the Lord has told us to do. We are to leave the consequences up to the Lord, to know with assurance that he is working out his purpose. That's where they went wrong. They forgot who the Lord is and his power. They forgot the victory that the Lord won over the Egyptian army. We be not able. Well, that that was true. But they should have said, the Lord is able. He will accomplish his purpose. It's impossible. It's impossible for us to sustain the church to grow the church, to maintain the witness. It really is. But it's not impossible for the Lord. It's His church. It's His promise. We should trust Him in these things. And because of their rebellion, that whole generation had to die in the wilderness. They wasted 38 years going round and round, so to speak. They thought their children would be destroyed by the people in the land. But the Lord said they would be the one that would gain the victory. They would enter in to that land. Chapter 16, turning over, deals with the rebellion of Korah, the family of Korah. Again, we have people who gathered themselves as three against Moses and Aaron, saying, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up to yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. These people had work to do. You can read back through and you'll find that the Lord had given them important work to do. But they despised what the Lord had told them to do. They wanted Moses' job. That was utterly wrong. They were doing it from selfish motive. They were not doing it from faith. But verse 5, 
Moses says that it will go before the Lord. The Lord will show you who are his and who is holy and cause him to come near unto him. It was a terrible episode. Moses said, verse 9 there, Seemeth it but a small thing unto you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them? Do you think it's nothing that God has given you a job to do? Whatever we have been given to do in the church, it's our responsibility to do it as unto the Lord. Dear friends, we have to be aware of envy and so forth. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the church at Philippi there, he, what did he, one of his problems, he was glad as he was in prison that there were those outside preaching the gospel. But why were they preaching? What was their motive? They were preaching the truth, but they were trying to make Paul jealous. They wanted him to be jealous of them because he was in prison and they were outside preaching. They were more successful, if you like. It's easy for such a spirit to get inside the gathered church. It must be far from us. The earth opened up and Korah and his companions were swallowed up. There was, there's more as you go on. You find the rod that budded in chapter 17. And that was because people were complaining. And so the rods were set down as to which man would the Lord choose. And it was Aaron's rod that budded. The rod that budded reminds us of Christ and how he sprung out of that root that seemed dead. He sprung out into life. As you move through, you can read about the the sacrifice of the red heifer, where there was the ashes were to be mixed with water and applied to give cleansing, ritual purity to anyone who had touched a dead body. As the the book unfolds, you find that Miriam died. Then, another, chapter 20 there, another complaint, because there was no water. Would God we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. People thinking that death is better. They don't, they don't say, the Lord is well able to provide for us. He will sustain us. He will work out his purpose. They say, would God we had died when he judged Oh dear friends, God was gracious to these people. 
there were constant complaints as you work through this book. One of the saddest points comes when Moses is told to speak to the rock. When there's no water, he's told to speak to the rock. What did he do? Anyone remember what Moses did when he was told in Numbers to speak to the rock? He struck it, yeah. And that was why he was told he could not enter the land. He had been disobedient. Moses, he was so meek. Moses, he was so faithful. Moses, he was a picture of Christ. For aren't we promised that there would be a prophet like unto Moses, Deuteronomy 18.15. But Moses was not sufficient for the task. He was disobedient at that moment when he struck the rock. That rock which is the type of Christ. Christ, of course, was only to be struck once, as it were, because he only died once. One sacrifice for sin for ever. You got the whole incident of Balaam. What was Balaam's problem? Anyone remember what Balaam's big problem was? The love of money. Yes, he wanted. He wanted what the enemy of God's people was offering. He desperately wanted it. But he knew he shouldn't curse the Israelites. He should only bless them. But he was desperate to get God's blessing. You can read about Balaam from chapter 22 onwards there. Thou shalt not go, in, in verse 12. You read through that, you find out that Balaam was told not to go. Balaam was told that they were not to be cursed, they were to be blessed. But when the messages came from Balak, he didn't tell them that God had told them they were to be blessed and not to be cursed. He hid that from him. There's some great prophecies given by the Holy Spirit through Balaam. Great promises of the coming Christ. But Balaam had a sorry end. And then we read of his true position. Balaam was killed in battle chapter 31 and we read what Moses said and Moses said unto them to the Israelites have you saved all the women alive behold these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor and there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord Balaam hadn't cursed them verbally, but he had suggested quietly, it seems. There's a way to corrupt Israel. 
sending these women and they will corrupt Israel bring in foreign practices Balaam was a wicked prophet who the Lord used to bring a mighty prophecy but Balaam is a great warning to us He loved the wages of unrighteousness, we read in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 15. And Revelation 2.14 tells us that Balaam taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. But it's worth reading the prophecies of Balaam the great promise of the coming Messiah. The the book ends with the new generation ready to go into the land. They are counted again. There's been very little change. The, the, The nation was not multiplied by the delay. There was no blessing in the delay. The delay was a curse because of unbelief. Dear friends, they, they, they left Egypt. They were, they were baptized unto Moses altogether. They appeared to be on the right path, but their hearts were filled with unbelief. They did not trust the Lord. At every turn, unbelief was shown. Only Caleb and Joshua entered the land. In this short look at the book of Numbers, we've missed an awful lot out. But God was gracious and God was faithful and God preserved his nation through whom the promised Messiah would come. They did enter into the land. Although it was that new generation we saw previously when I looked at the book of Judges, we're kind of working backwards here, but when we looked at the, the book of Judges, we saw again this problem of unbelief, rebellion, judgment, repentance. The national leaders could not bring them perfect salvation. Even though they pictured Christ, they were not Christ. It is only when we come and see that babe born in Bethlehem, when we see that child grow, when we see Christ go to the cross, that the work of redemption is complete. And there's no more need for these sacrifices. There's no more need for the tabernacle around which the people dwell. Therefore, the Lord's people today are the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. The Lord dwells with us and we have that great promise. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Lord and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word of truth. We pray that you will bless our thoughts Turn our eyes unto Christ. May we learn 
from what happened to your ancient people there in the wilderness. May we learn to trust in thee, to look unto Christ in all things. In his holy name we ask this. Amen.